0: Welcome back to the X-Files podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean. I'm Josh. And this time on the X-Files podcast, we're just doing a recap of Dwayne, Barry, and Ascension. All right, it's time. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Josh, how are you doing tonight, pal?
1: You're doing good, buddy.
0: Cool. I guess we're gonna do some shit tonight. We're gonna to talk X Files. It's been a hundred years.
1: Yeah, we. Uh, well, now we figure our shit out. I'm not saying we should start the recording right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't put this in the episode. Oh, look at that. The the old fake out. <laughs> the old fake out. Hey, this is just for the live people. If you're, you know, you're shit hot and you fucking showed up early for the, the potty. Old, the for old. The potty,
0: we call that the old switcheroo.
1: <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> That's what I meant.
0: Anyway, what's up, pal?
1: Oh, good. Um,
0: so we got to talk about Ascension and, well, we're going to talk about Dwayne Barry and Ascension together. We will recap. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I guess we're going to figure that out right now.
1: Yeah. Do you have uh, any, anything particular that you were thinking about as uh, far as how to approach this? No. Isn't that yeah. helpful?
0: Yeah. No, I... Uh... I just think it would be cool. I, I just thought it would kind of be neat to give anybody a chance that didn't get to talk about it as we've gotten more listeners since we started this thing. Um, it'll be kind of cool to see it in the context of the show as it is now because it's kind of neat to see one breath after going back and rewatching Dwayne Barry and Ascension. Um, and it's also pretty cool to see, like, I was like, oh, the x I was listening to the podcast on the episode we did and it was like, ooh, it's the, it's, uh, you know, they've closed the X-Files. Wait, what? That's cool. And then they reopen them by the end of Ascension, I think, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, we were a little bit, uh, that was back in the day. Back in the non, uh, what do you call it? Non-sequential day.
0: Back in the non-sequential day. Yeah, that's what I mean. I had no frame of reference on that. I was coming off only a few episodes having been watched recently. So it's kind of interesting to to even just hear my own thoughts then and in, in in where they are now re-watching the episode. Um and it feels one of the things one of the things I will say distinctly I noticed different about re-listening to those podcasts, rewatching those episodes now in the context of being in the serialized or sequential as you put it. Is the is the arc Mulder's mini arc regarding Scully? It seems so much more complete now to me. Versus because of course we were plucking them. We were just like, let's pick. You want to pick? Yeah, right. That was the voices we did. Let's pick them. Nailed it. Nailed it. I want to pick mine. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then we pick them, and we uh, you know, talk about them, and then um. But now it's cool to see where Mulder was. And um, sort of where he was in three and then Dwayne Barry and Ascension and then right into this one. Whereas I didn't remember one breath at all, which is kind of neat. So it was cool to go back and watch one breath having the framework now versus picking them up. And the thing I probably noticed most was Mulder's Mulder's behavior seems, it always seemed to make sense, like where he was at mentally. But coming off of the stress of Dwayne Barry and Ascension and seeing his utter stress now, I mean, shouting at hospital workers, just going fucking crazy, right? Which we're going to talk about when we actually get to that episode. But for this particular recap, that was the thing I noticed just going back and watching all of the Mulder stuff in this arc of loss as it relates to Scully and losing her and trying to keep up with her and... The, the crushing feeling of not getting the help you need from Skinner and the Smoking Man and all of that stuff really hitting home from older it felt i guess I felt the emotional weight of it more now that I have the framework of watching them in order than I did in the
1: past absolutely i mean we we looked at it very differently when it was when we were doing the the pick thing, and now it's it's different you know we're watching it like the show was meant to be watched in order and even though the majority of the episodes are monster of the week overall um even that you just i think we have a better sense of the the build of the characters and you know a, a, as things move along and we looked at Dwayne barry and ascension as as a two-parter which it was yeah. and it was great but we you know we kind of had the snapshot look from a all right let's take a look at this cool little mythology two-parter um but we are bopping all over the place and right. and now it's nestled right where it uh where it should be. And uh, yeah, I definitely think it's worth just a quick little rehash. And uh, we gave people a chance to kind of comment again on that. Mm-hmm. And we can take a, take a peek back through those, those Facebook comments and see if there's some stuff worth um discussing. And then just kind of talk about where, you know, how we feel coming off that leading into one breath. Cause right. it's really worth doing because it's, it is such a, these three episodes and um a spoiler alert, I have a, a doozy of a comment from BP9000 I'm going to drop when we get into One Breath. Um, but it is worth doing because these three episodes really do merit a lot. And not just not just the mythology, but the actual the show. Mm. You know, what it means to be a, a viewer of The X-Files and a fan of The X-Files. These three episodes together are, are so important for what the show is going to come to mean for a lot of the viewers and... You know in in the relationship that Mulder and Scully have, and that that being ultimately, I think the most important thing of what the show um, would would come to be like emotionally for so many people it's not just the cool monsters and the cool aliens, but but this dynamic between the two of them and how they interact with these things. so yeah it's right, definitely it's, yeah uh,
0: it leads into some heavy shit. One breath's pretty heavy up. I was like, oh man, this is such a white bummer, you know this is like <laughs> white people TV, one breath. It's just like uh, let's you know what I'm saying. Yeah, oh yeah, but we'll get to that. But what I want to say Very is this: quite. <laughs> what I want to say is this. The, um, the the it's kind of interesting to take a mythology two parter and watch it in a vacuum, like we did originally. It's really weird because you'd almost think, well, you could take a monster of the week out of context and watch it. In probably, of course, you're always going to get more out of something when it has the framework of serialized storytelling leading up to and then pr- proceeding. That would be after, right? Not yep. preceding. Proceeding. Yep. Um, it's going to always be different, but I bet it's less severe than if you're dealing with mythology because, you know, the mythology is something that plays along throughout the whole time. And, yeah, so it's kind of cool. Obviously, the I guess to, to, to say it a little more succinctly, watching Monster of the Week episodes in a vacuum is probably going to yield less revelations when you watch it in order versus mythology.
1: Sure. Yeah, there'll be little things to be commented on to say, oh hey, you know this is cool. Their you know their relationship is here, or you know look at look at where Skinner's at in this episode. You know, but but really when you go back through it and you look at uh, look at a thing like this versus looking at Monster of the Week, that shit's gonna it's gonna be a lot different when you do that zoom in um, in context look versus um, the uh, the check in that we used to do.
0: Hundred fucking percent, dog.
1: Yeah. So, um, I don't know if we, you know, you had a idea in mind of, uh, the order to do this, but I thought it'd be kind of cool. Um, I threw up a post back on March 4th. It was nice. a while ago. Um, cause we had kind of had this mapped out for a little while, but on. I think the, I have it
0: in front of me. It has yeah. the close up of the eyeballs.
1: The old, the old Scully. The, the little, old, the old she's flashing blues. you the lamps. Yep. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe we just take a little walk down this and we see, uh, what people had to say and if there's anything to uh to kind of key off that and then we can we can kind of give our more personal thoughts. Anything kind of left after we get through what the listeners had to throw in. Um, yeah,
0: basically what we're saying is is we hope you have a good a good amount of content out there so we can crowdsource your ideas in podcasts like professionals.
1: I hope you did the work for us. Correct. Like I hope BP always <laughs> does the work for me. That's what <laughs>
0: In other mean? words, will this little preamble episode, which will drop by itself, will be as good as our listeners gave feedback for? So that's,
1: that's right. That's
0: really just exposing our flaws as as quote broadcasters.
1: <laughs> what a generous term.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, broadcaster. It happens to me, and I have the technology to amplify my voice.
1: I'm a new media broadcaster, oh, God. you know?
0: If somebody says new media to me again, I'm going to kill them.
1: What's <laughs> the worst? It's so stupid. Is it new now? Is it really? Like, come on. It's just yeah. like when people call email, oh, good old, old-fashioned email. <laughs> Ugh. Like, come on, dude. It's still.
0: They say snail mail. That's punchable. That's a punchable offense. Yeah. Snail mail. Just <laughs> mail. There's mail. There's fucking mail. And then there's email. There's no
1: snail mail. And okay. um, last, you can train a snail, in which case... Which, yeah,
0: it Sounds like an X-File. It sounds like a horrific mode of, of... It sounds terrible. It sounds like your male is going to fall by the wayside from disgusting adolescent boys who pour salt all over them <laughs> and watch them squirm to death.
1: Anyway. yell the snail. So, um, yeah, just jumping into this. Uh, besides Mac Conrad making fun of me, because I still don't know how to say pathos, or the context to use it in. You did it Um, very well that time. Well, uh, I got one from Lisa M. I see that one. I love how we see, even in these episodes, that Krychek is very, very good at playing the game. Already Mm -hmm. more adaptable than the Cigarette smoke Man, who really overplays his hand here for the first time in the series. I also love Krychek's striped tie in this episode. Cause it's perfect for a double agent, Dean. Since you've lived and worked in Florida, you'll know exactly what I mean. Ooh. A little, little clip to uh, the the coral snakes. What's yep. that? Um, it's red, yellow, and black. There's a there's like a rhyming scheme.
0: Yeah, red touch yellow kill a fellow. Red touch black venom lack.
1: Okay, well, yep that was that, coral. That early?
0: Fucking, dude, I learned that real early. <laughs> Is that my in place grandfather of the had the allegiance. Yeah, my grandfather had a coral snake in his in his yard once in Florida fucking scary
1: really yeah, he did. like a real one like a red touch yellow one like a red
0: touch yellow kill a fellow yeah yes. yeah there's the cause I don't know what the I don't know what the other one's called coral snake and it's some kind of king snake it's not dangerous so at all have, yeah. no zero percent red touch black that's what you need that's that's red touch black that's a snowflake that's a snowflake <laughs> <laughs> that's like the <laughs> montage man I'm telling you it's scary them fuckers but so uh, for, th- it was more, you know, it was less snakes for me and more um, brown recluse, the spider. Oh, dude. Fucking little bastards, they'll get you.
1: Yeah, even when I was down in um, North Carolina and Georgia oh, yeah. and South Carolina, they um, that was a big thing. Black Georgia Widows were nowhere near as big of a deal. Like, yep. they talked to us, like, they were also out there. I had a couple run-ins with a Black Widow, and I always, as a kid, you think, like, that's the most deadly spider of all time ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really. Brown no. recluse, way worse and yeah. and and more gross. Like what they actually do Ooh. to your body. Yeah. But speaking of snakes and spiders, um, mm. and other insidious creatures, let's talk about Alex Krychek, Dean. Dude,
0: it's funny to think about Alex Krychek in his introduction because I was just talking about him and I was like, he's super gay, right? Not that that matters, but I just he definitely seemed to be in the beginning. He had this, he had this very disarming, oh, Mulder, I'm so mad about you. Right? He had that thing going on, which is totally mm-hmm. cool. But then I was like, I, I remember thinking, wow, I didn't realize how badly he played possum on his entrance and how Mulder was such a shit to him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. That's it's really cool
0: to watch in context.
1: Because in retrospect, we remember dangerous Krychek. Mm-hmm. We, we remember brown recluse Krychek. That's right. No? Yep. we remember yellow touches black. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You could say that.
1: <laughs> so as it were, really mm-hmm. can try to keep this consistent. Uh, but that's what you think of, you know, after you watch all the X Files, Krycek is, man, he's this dangerous shifty, like has a very interesting relationship with Mulder, and how his allegiance is kind of a time shift. He's a little bit of a, a little bit of a rogue agent at times, but ultimately just such a dangerous character. Um, But, yeah, it's the easiest thing to forget is this (laughs) like corn-fed white boy thing he rolls in. on, And, uh, yeah, he is so good in that. Yeah, he's great. It's really good. And it's it's great to see that transition. And we talked about it, um, if you've been listening right along, uh, in Ascension as that shifts as you see him. I guess the very first time when he, you know, besides a couple conversations on the phone, the first time you really see it is when he whacks the fuck out of that train conductor, dude. Hell
0: yeah, <laughs> and he he murders Dwayne Barry, man. Yeah, just two murders, ba- just two bodies, two bodies, one episode. Not no bad. waiting, not bad. no, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, and that's and that was the cool thing about him. Yeah, cry checks. Krycek is a really cool character. You know, it's funny, when we when Krycek came up and you and I talked about him, we were talking about how fond we were of him, especially back in the day, and then I had no idea. I totally forgot that he was played as such a seemingly spineless sort of unthreatening character at first, and then you just realize it's not, and it's all just part of his subterfuge. I love that shit. Yeah, I, I love the long con. I love the long game. I love that. That stuff gives me wood. Yep.
1: I like that. Uh I, I never picked up on it, but the whole illusion of the striped tie. That's a that's either a clever pickup or a coincidence, or it doesn't matter. I'll give you per- clever. Nice work, Lisa. Nice work. <clears throat> uh Rudy Bales. Yeah. She says, I always
0: really enjoy watching Twain Barry, the episode and the character himself. Uh no, she says his constant referral to himself in the third person is so weird and clever. Only adding to the creepy factor and making you question even more what the hell really he what the hell he really did experience. The episode in particular manages to feel really action-packed without actually presenting a huge amount of real action. Focused in one main location, lots of back and forth phone talk and dark brooding camera shots, yet it never feels slow paced or dull as it certainly could, correct to Chris Carter. On a personal note, I literally just did some, albeit fairly cursory, hostage negotiation training. Seriously, I did that. And it was so painfully script and protocol-based. Rules, rules, rules. Naughty Mulder would not have got the shiny strip kit I did at the end of the course for his antics here. Having said that, I think I prefer his approach, so might ignore my... Jesus, that's so fucking British to say it that way, Ruth. (laughs) I think I prefer his approach, so might ignore my guidelines... Not like you might want to, so might ignore my work guidelines and employ the Molder method in future travel agent, mental patient, alien abduction-based situations that I inevitably face. That was good stuff, Ruth. <laughs> That's pretty wild. First of all, that she did that. Yeah. You yeah, what's uh? Second of all, uh, what's your job, Ruth? <laughs> Second of all, I really dig her bringing up the darkness. I have the episode on in the background, and boy, is it. Really dark. It's got a lot of use. the The lighting guy had his work cut out for him. I'm sure the, the director of photography was like, "Listen, here's how I want my lights to go. Here's how I want my, my actors to look. Make it happen, or you're fucking fired." I'm just yeah, that- making that part up, but the the lighting in Dwayne Barry, there's a lot of, like she said, just a lot of dark moments, a lot of shadow play.
1: Uh, yeah, because all that time there's, there's. I think they want you to feel like there's no light inside that travel agency. It's all you know, light shining in through the windows with closed curtains, uh, which you can't actually film. So you have to supplement that light, but that's the light you want to feel, right? Which makes for you know, you want a lot of heavy shadows, and it works perfectly for the feel. And that's a you know
0: what I think it does too. As a, as as I think about this, I think it also presents us with this realization realization that the subject of the composition is personalities right we're dealing with just faces and talking and faces and talking the walls the details the location even all the law enforcement in the room when scully gets on the phone it's just her shrouded in shadows and and it is this you're you're sort of flirting with the edge of darkness and there is nothing else except what you can do with your personality and with your ability to communicate and listen in that moment, right? It's so fucking cool. Nothing else, you know, the cinematographer was like, look, nothing else is going to... We're not going to show you anything else because nothing else really matters because the lights go out completely if these people fail on their personality. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool observation by Ruth.
1: I like that. man. I was trying to remember, uh, what is the movie... I thought it was Al Pacino, but I just looked at his IMDb. I don't see it. The movie with the the hostage thing in the, the car dealership.
0: Cadillac Man?
1: Is that Cadillac Man? Is that is that Robin Williams? Yeah, it's kind of like a weird kind of comedy. Yeah,
0: but he dies in the end. But, it's pretty sad. S-
1: yeah, but some really serious beats
0: to it. I'm almost certain it's it's Cadillac Man. Yeah. It's funny well, that you just pulled that out of
1: nowhere. Oh, well, I was just thinking about it because it was very similar like that... Uh, Tim it's Robbins, that, right? You could, yep. You could do like a stage thing, like you could, you know. It's it's basically one set, yeah. You know, almost everything happens in there. But um, uh. yeah, good shit from Ruth, um, Maddie Conrad. You think there was ever time in his life where he called cat women with, "Hey baby, come Dwayne these berries." Oh hack, boy! Hashtag hack jokes. Hashtag I'm sorry everyone. Hashtag I'll see myself out.
0: Nice, you're fired,
1: Matt. Uh, <laughs> we still uh, love you though. You're rehired. real, real one from Rachel Noble Fields. These episodes are such an established part of the myth- mythology that I think it's hard to conceptualize how really radical they must have been at the time they aired. There's zero indication throughout Dwayne Barry that it's going to be the first part of a two-parter and a really cliffhanger two-parter with that. The X-Files all about wrapped up at the end and then bam, they hit you with Scully's abduction. Then you get through mm-hmm. Ascension and she's still missing and she stays missing. Yeah. Of course, now most of us do a, a mental, just do a mental skip over three and we know how the arc wraps up in one breath, but dang, there are only two main characters in the whole show and you close out this 2 part with one of them just gone. This arc sets up so much of what's to come in the mythology, Scully's cancer, her fertility, etc., that it's hard to overstate the importance in, in the series. And overall, I just think they hold up as really good episodes. And I was struck the last time I watched Dwayne Barry by just how creepy it still is even decades later. Is Dwayne Barry a little over the top probably, but the drill holds in his damn teeth, you guys. <laughs> and by the way, Mulder really falls apart in uh and the way Mulder really falls apart in Ascension and his rage and grief with Scully missing really drives home the issue of how much he cares for her. I think You're, we talked about a lot of that in the um in the episodes originally. Right, yeah. But it's, but it's a great job, you know, kind of wrapping up our thoughts in, in two paragraphs that took us two hours to do.
0: Right. And I, I love this. You know, I didn't, obviously we couldn't talk about it at the time, or at least I couldn't because I didn't remember. But but Rachel's point here where she says there are only, sorry, I had it. I lost it. Here we go. This arc sets up so much of what's to come in the mythology, Scully's Cancer, Fertility, Certo, that it's hard to overstate its importance in the series. That's a really good point And one I would, I, I didn't think about. But it's kind of interesting and that's why this exercise is is kind of fascinating to do is that I don't, I wouldn't even have that context now because I don't remember. It might have come up, but it's kind of neat to think about just how it, like she says, seemingly you're at the end and then boom, you wrap, but then it sets up all this other stuff. So it's it's crazy to look at this 2 potter as pivotal to the second season at the minimum. Yeah. It's pretty wild, dude.
1: Yep. Uh, there's a comment. I hope we're going to get to it. Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it. If we are, um, I hope it's in this thread about how uh, so early on in this, it, it it wasn't taken as a given that these two characters would that w- were invincible, right? You know, you watch X Files now, and you know, you know, Mulder and Scully aren't going to die. Come on! But back this early when there was there was a lot of talk about you know. What's going on with the show? How it's going to develop? Is there tension between the company and blah, blah, blah? And is Fox happy with how it's going? <laughs> that it, it wasn't taken as a given that these characters were invincible and there was, you know, no chance they weren't uh, going to fucking die.
0: Yeah. There was some real, it, it's funny watching, watching the, these episodes, this, this, you know, the two part, and of course, one breath, which we're going to be talking about soon here, but that the idea of her seeming quite fragile in the moment, and you're like, whoa, what are we doing here? You know, it gives you a pause for just a minute. I mean, there's always the meta thought of, well, the show can't go on, right? Or can it? I don't know.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Great, great, great thought there.
0: Christine Calaveschi. Given how much Scully's abduction sets up future plot lines, I'd be interested to hear Josh and Dean speculate on how else Jillian Anderson's baby leave could have been handled and how that would have changed a lot. Could she have been abducted by some rando for non alien reasons? Are you talking like sex dungeon? Hmm. Super sick, took a vacation, would still eventually end up having Mueller's Miracle Alien Baby. Oh, she wants us to do a little brainstorming. <laughs> what benefit is there into that's that's where I would start. What's the motivation to kidnap Scully? If I would if I if you're forcing me to write this that would be the first thing i'd do. what what do they have to gain by taking her?
1: well, it's it's hard for me to jump into this because i come to a a struggle that i have with a lot of narrative formats especially television which is I have the struggle between I want you to know the story you're going to tell me and the idea of creative flexibility, and I'll tie that into my my own personal nerdy experience with role playing games, mm-hmm. in in the idea of like, all right, is a is a camp you play a like a long ass D and D or vampire or Star Wars campaign, you know, and you get to that awesome climax of a great campaign run by an awesome dungeon master GM, whatever, and whatever it comes out to be, is it better because the whole time along they've been dropping in these subplots and everything has led to this moment and you you know, you know that they were crafting, weaving the spiderweb for you? Or is it just as awesome that it was kind of happenstance and they had a couple ideas and they took what you gave them and they ended up kind of being able to find a creative way to tie these things together? And Maybe that sounds weird and convoluted, but essentially, you know, I have this weird thing where I, I have a love for both of those, where I want I want my media to tell me a story, I and I have this intrinsic kind of like kickback of, fuck you, like don't just keep making episodes like nonstop until you stop making money, and you know, you don't actually have like a set story to tell, and you just keep adding on season after season after season, and there's no real like end in sight, you're just adding in things, and you're you know, building, and then you have to fucking deal with it. And that's kind of what X-Files ultimately is. And I think negatively about it when it's something like, you know, Walking Dead, our our old, you know, our old horse to beat. Um, <laughs> verbal
0: beating posts.
1: Yeah, our verbal beating posts of, like, there is no end in sight. It's just all these things you just keep piling on versus you want to tell me a, a concise story and you know from day one what the ending is. But you know, I guess I'm just I'm just kind of rambling off. But these these two ideas, I'm not saying one's better or worse. They're just they're two very different ways. So to get down to what she's actually asking, <laughs> um, I think ultimately they just happen to make a choice that tied in really well with a lot of the things in mythology that I dug. I don't believe that Chris Carter had any kind of ultimate vision of where he wanted the mythology to build towards. Ultimately it would be unfair to judge him as that because especially back in that day in serialized TV, you could not, you know, realistic, realistically expect somebody to, to have a 200 story arc in the fucking back of their head um, with any expectation that they were going to be able to tell that story. So I think you just chose well and it just happened to be something where you know you you picked a pretty cool thing and you kept enough mystery you kept enough unrevealed even after one breath um, as we'll get into that you you set up some really cool threads to explore and to build back into future mythology episodes what else could have been your actual question? Yeah, I didn't address that in the last seven minutes. So, Dean, you got anything to add?
0: Yeah, yeah. I like what you're going with there. You know, I like uh, your comparison just in storycraft in general, which is do I allow the concept to tell the story or do I know ultimately how I want to subtly direct the story to the ending that I imagine, right? Um, in, in our world, Josh, which is the world of, the story crafting, when, when in terms of, and I don't mean podcasting, I mean like any type of interactive storytelling we do, be it some kind of game, it's always challenging because you don't control the player, so to speak. So there's more flexibility demanded there. But But some authors would even say that they don't control their characters. That's a very famous Stephen King thing, which is he says that his story is essentially—I believe it's in on writing where he equates it to the uncovering of a of some sort of old fossil. In the brushing away of the story underneath, he's not sure. He'll—he's very concept driven, and that's—I—that's. This <laughs> that sounds so fucking stupid to say after talking about Stephen King. That's how I am. Um, no, but, but but what I mean is I think— Me and in, Steve. Yeah, me and Steve go way back. But no, I think in terms of like a scene, like I go, this scene would be so cool. Can I make that work in this setup I have here? Because that would be awesome. Um, but then there's also you, you really become aimless and you meander if you don't know. Um, I think Breaking Bad is a good example of a great way to tell a story about the downfall of a man— and know the ending when you set out to write it, you're pretty certain you know he's not getting probably not getting out of it alive you, you're pretty sure you know how you want that to happen, and then just telling that story as it goes versus just meandering and trying to make money and trying to keep it going but but there's a difference between x files and Breaking Bad because Breaking Bad does not have non mythology episodes, so to speak, right every episode has to do with the serial laid out it's not. It doesn't have the opportunity to have playtime, which is what, you know, every other show gets to do. Every other show, Star Trek is built on that. Gene Roddenberry demanded that it wasn't to be serialized, right? He wanted anyone to pick it up at any time. So it's always going to be a little different because you're talking, you know, you're talking the campaign on the one hand, right, to use your language from earlier. But then you're talking about the the single adventure in the short term. The single adventure, right? Versus yeah. the, all the. In other words, one episode of TV versus the, a season of TV, and how that all plays out. But you know, <clears throat> to to get specific about her question, because we're more talking about the theory of the question. But to get down to brass tacks of the question, I always think that sometimes uh, simplicity. I, I sometimes think simplicity in in execution is sometimes the best approach. Now, obviously, what we got with and being sick was very creative and super awesome, which is why they write teleplays and I don't. But if I was put in that position and I had a character that I had established for a season already with 20-some-odd episodes and then I found out, oh my God, she's, she's pregnant, she's going to be on maternity leave, depending on what kind of availability she had, I would almost say, why don't we just... I mean, it's hard with X-Files because you're like, well, who's the father? But I think with other shows, you could probably set it up to where it's like, she's just pregnant. It's fine. You know, She maybe she works at home, maybe whatever. Like, I know that sounds super boring and like the, a weak answer, but it's almost like if if it was my responsibility, I might have been able to do it that way. Probably not with Scully because we always want the will they or won't they tension. So that's i think ultimately what led to creative decision making right plus it's the x-files plus they want to have fun but they're not going to be like oh it's just some random guy she's with like that that's why i think it makes it so challenging versus like if you're watching a show like fargo and the cop is pregnant well fine she's still working it's nothing wrong with that but if the show if a lot of the show rested on this will they or won't they tension between the two characters You have to kind of get creative with the pregnancy. So you're talking about the X-Files. You're talking about abduction. You're talking about alien shit. You're talking about this. You lose the baby. The aliens snatch the baby away. Do scientists capture her because it's an alien baby? You know, there's, you have to try to come up with something some way. And I think X-Files did a goddamn good job of it because I I thought about that a lot. I was like, God, what a shit position to be in where you can't just say, oh, she's pregnant. It's okay. (laughs) Because it ruins the entire dynamic if you're Mulder, right?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's a tough spot.
1: Yeah, because ho- they've they've set up, uh, they've already kind of set their backstories, and they don't,
0: right? They don't have that. That's right. So you can't, yeah. you know, if it was, if they were, if if the, if that wasn't the setup, if 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 Scully was a married character already, and we had a totally different show, I, you could just be like, she's pregnant. It's fine.
1: Yep, and you know. I think we're kind of ultimately we're kind of beating around the bush of 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 her of her question. Not even we we just kind of went bigger scale with it um, because she was more asking, "What if it well, wasn't like a abduction thing that wasn't kind of related to this alien mythology?"
0: Um, I, yeah, for random reasons, not not related to the mythology. I think is this is what she's getting at,
1: right? But so I guess that's to try to hone back in instead of just kind of talking about our stuff is I think the best decisions Chris Carter made early on was when he had a chance to add mystery. He added it, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you had a great line, um, in a very early podcast about cigarettes Bookman is, you know, we talked about how he didn't really have a set role early on. And you said like, what a fucking great move by Carter to just be like, yeah, I don't know what this guy's ultimately going to be, but i I want a shadowy fucking kind of scary looking guy in a trench coat smoking a cigarette in the back of the room. So just put him in there. And then we had an opportunity to use him again. He used him again. And then look at that. He ends up being one of the most important characters in the show.
0: Right. Yeah, you put the Grim Reaper in the set. You put the Grim Reaper in the shot. And you you don't need to explain it. You just know that that's what you want to do.
1: And and you know that now, even if you don't know exactly what you want to do, you've added an incredible tool to your toolbox of of what you want this show to be down the road and what storylines you want to add. So that's really... That's really what they're doing here by by making this, this Scully abduction what it was, was that they didn't have to answer all the questions. They Most importantly, they made a great small piece story, and they, they built this relationship between the characters incredibly with it. But they also just put like tools in their arsenal that they could go back to by referring back to the mysteries they left. And that's... Those are the great decisions that, that Carter made in, in, in his building and mythology. And ultimately, like, you know, we always kind of talk about how it, it became very unwieldy eventually. Mm. Um, but early on, man, like it was great what they were doing. It was great how many questions they didn't answer, how many things they inserted that kind of led you to, to think, but, but not show you everything.
0: Yeah. Yep. For sure. So. Good stuff. Very thought provoking. Christine, well done.
1: Yeah. Um, BP has a show handled, uh, has any show handled a pregnancy as well as the X-Files? How badass is cigarette smoking man?
0: Well, well, let me answer the first question. Absolutely. Just stab them in the stomach at the Red Wedding. (laughs) Just stab them in the baby stomach. It's a fucking done deal. What are we going to do? She's pregnant. Done. Would you fucking stab her, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Two birds with one stone. Two birds with one knife. How badass is cigarette smoking man? He point blank lights a cigarette in Skinner's face. And How badass is it when you see Skinner draw a line in the sand? (laughs) Thank you for not smoking.
0: Skinner rules.
1: Uh, The scene with Scully's mom on the bench was especially well done. I really love that. Uh, it's interesting when I was younger, it was all about Dwayne Barry Ascension with one breath being a cool ending. I was so engaged in the whole uh, excitement of Dwayne Barry, And it's only in the last five or 10 years that I realized it's one breath. You know what? I'm not even going to read this dude. I'm going to read a fucking big ass fucking BP comment. So let's skip over this. All right. Now uh, let's get to his questions. There's actually.
0: a lot of good answers to his question about handling pregnancies, by the way, people <laughs> yeah. that have seen way more TV with pregnant people than me.
1: Um, Let's get through his questions. He has a question for you. Going through the series in order with fresh eyes, how has your perspective of the X-Files and Dwayne Barry Ascension changed since you recorded the podcast, especially now that you've seen the show grow from the pilot till now? I Uh, think I've kind of answered it already. Yeah, you did kind of answer that.
0: But I do want to add something, um, and this will be more relevant in our next episode where we cover one breath, but um, it now feels complete having seen one breath, right? It It was interesting to watch him in the past and go, wow. I wonder what happens, right? That's always the thing. But now it's almost like I get to, because we're doing this episode the way we are. I get to go, wow, cool. I get to see how it ends. Now that's that's a cool thing.
1: Yeah, I like that. Um, he had a question for me. Same question, but as a longtime fan with deeper knowledge of the overall show, has this experience starting in season one till now changed your view of the X Files? Hmm. Um, in a way, just in that, in that, I guess I even being, you know. <laughs> As a broadcaster of new media, um, you really, (laughs) no, but um, taking a show, you know, I've never done, you know, serialized TV on a podcast um, as you have done in other formats, Dean, like you've done Game of Thrones, Stranger Things, True Detective, like you've done a lot of very narrative based um, TV episode by episode. Yeah, no
0: big deal, you know, just lifestyle, bro. (laughs) You get that big, just doing my reps, bro. You know what I mean? It's just the way I live, man. It's no big deal.
1: But for me, don't make all... it sound crazy, man. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> all I've ever done, though, is you know I've done um, you know LSG Media, you know SSFP movies now and then. Sometimes they did a lot, sometimes not as many. Ugh. And then all the years of doing X Files, except for the new seasons, it was just quick lookins. And it is different doing it episode by episode because yeah, not because of anything more than you just have to think a lot more about it. Cause I'm every episode I watch, I'm like, cool. I just watched 45 minutes of TV and somehow inexplicably I'm going to talk about it for fucking 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. as you jot those notes, you can't help but think of all these things and not just out of the notes, but talking about it, man, like you just talk so fucking much. Like we, we get into these conversations that we go, you know, in and out of the episode and beyond the episode and back to the last one and a little bit to the next one. And, even when they're only monster of the week we talk about how it fits in the theory, uh, into the series and and how it feels as a part of it so yeah i mean i guess uh the just basic answer is man, like it, every everything just seems more significant when you take that much time fucking talking about it um, suddenly and, it's and not a ship in it,
0: the bottle right every time
1: yeah yeah exactly it's uh it's crazy and especially It was something I was thinking about watching one breath is, dude, they did 24 episodes a season.
0: Dude, that's how they did it back in the day.
1: That's fucking nuts. And, you know, we make jokes about, like, the misses. You know, we we crack on three and, you know, every once in a while, like, even a great show like X-Files has these misses. But to do 24 episodes... Like, that's such a crazy endeavor of an hour-long TV show. It's unbelievable. Um,
0: that's what lends credence to the argument for Star Trek being made for TV, not for a silver screen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So many
0: episodes. So
1: many episodes. So much. So many stories to tell. and But just the amount of work that goes into that and the amount of the work on the writers and like uh, granted you're different lighters, but, and then as the showrunner is Chris Carter to kind of have to try to try to steer this whole crazy thing. It's nuts. so like, as I watch it, I just have it, this show. That's always been one of my favorite TV shows of all time. You can't help, but even have more and more of an appreciation for it when you have to go back and look at like what they were able to do. And, uh, Dude, we have fun like poking holes in a couple of little goof ups, but to to do something like this, this whole Dwayne Barry ascension into one breath, um, and to to hit such a home run, grand slam, really, yeah. Um, it's man, it's so cool, so cool. Yeah,
0: good questions. How about have our impressions changed regarding Chris Carter? Matt asks Matt Elias, Elias, Elias. I don't know, Elias. Looks like, like, uh, Elias, like, like, like Elias, like Sergeant Elias.
1: Like Platoon, yeah. Fuck. Sergeant um, Bond's going to kill his ass. We were comparing it to George Lucas dur- pretty hard there during season 10-11. Uh, I think I just kind of sucked Chris Carter's dick, didn't I? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Camarita. I'll never forget how thrilling these episodes were the first time around. Back in the day, I had a strong preference for the mythology episodes, and it was episodes like these that really blew my mind and got their hooks in me. Still love them after all the years and multiple viewings. I like it. Mm. I like yeah. it. I mean, not a lot to jump off that, but.
0: No, just a good good observation. And in, 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 um, uh, Ben's observation below it, which was the mythology made you feel like the characters were in so much more mortal peril than the monster of the week. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's a really good point. I never even thought of that.
1: Oh, shit. Okay, here it is. I want to read this one. This was a comment off this. Um, Diane. Diane Renaud. Diane Renaud. I'm such a gullible fangirl, Suffer. I was never quite certain that my beloved Mulder and Scully would survive a season cliffhanger. In the early days with all the gossipy fake news about the feud between D.D. and G.A. and how, okay, let me just say the names, between Duchovny and Anderson and how Chris Carter was angry with Jillian Anderson and Duchovny being unhappy in the reign of Vancouver, we were never certain that all the characters would be, be alive and well when the new season aired in late fall. Oh, those long summer months. Don't y'all remember the rumors about DeCovney bowing to Skinner in his office at the end of F Emulascata? The internet was alive with in interpretations that DeCovney was sending a secret message to fan that he was bowing out or quitting the series. Wow. Shaking my head. I wasn't certain they weren't uh they wouldn't kill Mulder off at the end of Requiem. And let me tell you The fear struck in my heart when season 11, episode 9, title, Nothing Lasts Forever, was published. LOL. I comforted myself by rationalizing that the syndication potential would be damaged if one of the leads died at the end of the series. That was a comment I was alluding to earlier on. Got it. um, Which was just a cool thing. Just the perspective of, we take it for granted, like watching back now that Alder and Scully aren't going to die. But, you know, at the time, especially a rife with internet rumors and chat room bullshit and possibly some real drama and actual studio pressure that, especially early on, and then particularly in some later uh, later seasons, you know, six, seven, eight, when there was some actual real drama to report, um, it wasn't a given that these yeah. characters were immortal. Um, so when the episodes put them in peril, that's real fucking power for a viewer.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, I like that. It's really good. Uh, Sharni Allen wants to talk about, uh, that dick.
0: The Tangerine Speedo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we, uh, we hit on that good. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It's nice though. It is nice.
0: He's like, what am I doing with my half boner? I better push it aside. Beaker. <laughs>
1: Look at Beaker
0: in there. <laughs> That's a Dr. New Embarer looks like bearded Beaker. He really does. <laughs> it's really uncanny.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, shit. Wrap it up with uh, Wesley Ruff. Dwayne Barry shows just how clear Chris Carter's vision was for this world. There are no obvious signs this was his di- directorial debut, uh, which we mentioned. We are introduced to a character who has experienced firsthand something Mulder has been trying to experience since Samantha disappeared. Confirmation that aliens are real. I would even say that Dwayne Barry's Mulder having been driven mad after finding what he was searching for. Scully scanning the implant and the check stand going berserk. Is still one of my favorite moments in the show's entire run. It's simply an X Files classic. Mm. Classic.
0: Well done, Miss Ruff. Yeah.
1: Well, wow, that's um, some
0: good participation. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, that was great shit, man. That was cool.
0: I mean, it ended up being a longer episode than I originally thought, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We go where the wind
1: blows. Yeah, leading into uh into one breath, um, I'll just say that uh I don't know. I don't know if I have a lot to add. I think yeah. I think um I think it's just really impressive to look back and to tie these three episodes together and to look at what your what Chris Carter was able to do with mm-hmm. a few episodes of serialized TV in the mid 90s um in a 24 episode season. <laughs> and uh the repercussions that that we would all you and I most particularly Dean since we're the ones talking but Everybody, you know, listening and digging and just being into X-Files would have so much to say about these episodes. Like anything we, when we publish these originally, um, even when you drop the episode releases and when we, this whole fucking feed about these, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like the the effect that you, you could have um, when not dealing with, this is an HBO Game of Thrones some massive property that you're dropping whatever fucking 10 Doesn't have the million source dollars
0: material behind it either the,
1: the source material the production the the time you're spending a year and a half you know per season to crank out 10 episodes you're doing 24 fucking episodes and to 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 find these threads and time together man it's really cool and um and i just I keep going back to that that thought about the whole the whole D&D campaign and the idea of being flexible and creative and I think that's where that's where Chris Carter really struck gold was his ability to find opportunities. I don't think he had this amazing vision. I think he had a vision of the show he wanted to make and of these characters, but I don't think he had any kind of grand vision. No um retroactive George Lucas I fucking imagined every moment of Episodes one through nine, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it was not that, but, um, but he took his, he took his chances to, to add things in and really he, he fucking hit a lot more than he missed. If he was a baseball player, he'd be going to the hall of fame.
0: Yep. Excuse me. Absolutely. I'll tell you, man, it's, um, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a lot of this, you know, these, these stories have to wrap themselves up in one episode and to have so many, it's just tough. That's that's just hard. It's such a hard thing to do. Because so much of it is mantra of the week and so much of it has to be created for that encapsulated singular story. That's a super hard challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean put yourself yeah. in that position. You gotta come both how I mean, like you said, there's different writers and shit, but still put yourself in that position. Yeah. I'd rather be like it might be easier for me to do a story that's ten episodes long than ten stories one episode each, you know?
1: Yeah, no shit. And to not I mean And how infrequently, like, yeah, some of the episodes are not, they're not all fucking diamonds, but it's very rare to find an episode that is straight up bad. And it's even rarer to find one that has any kind of, like, inconsistency. And a lot of that, you also have to, of course, credit the whole crew, the actors, you know, Jillian and, and David, like, being, really finding their home in the characters. But it's very rare that you see something in an episode and you're like, that's weird. Like, that's not, that's not Mulder. That's, that's more not season Scully. 10 and 11. Yeah. You know. And, 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 um, what's the one where Mulder's afraid of a fire in <laughs> and, and the English girlfriend? <laughs> that That's one of the few examples of just like, well, what show am I watching? <laughs> right. So, yeah, man, a uh, couple great episodes and, uh, man, I am psyched. I'm, my fires are stoked up to talk about one breath.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, we should probably wrap this up and, and and uh head over and talk about one breath. What do you think?
1: That's it. Um, we're gonna take a take a very short br- break. If you're in the live chat, um, we'll cut the recording, start it again, and because yep. uh, we'll we'll, uh,
0: cause we'll want two different live posts for this. We don't want them on the same track.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and we will be right back with you with uh, with one breath. No more yep. Dwayne Barry you don't know jack
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll see you guys in a few